0: Well, good morning, saints. Glad you're here today on this beautiful day that I was a little worried that everybody had headed out to the beach already. I saw the earlier uh, numbers. I was like, hmm, did I miss something? Are we in June? And I didn't know. I was thinking of a couple of things while we were worshiping together. And as um, Ben reminded us of uh, who it is we're worshiping, and what a difference Jesus does make um, living for Christ and uh, thinking about uh, Jim Bays uh, this uh, week. Um, I'll probably share this at the service, but it was kind of a fun thing one of the visits to the hospital not that that's a fun thing, but I was in the hospital, and here was another brother who basically told me, "I became a Christian watching that man." and I went, "Oh, that's normal." that's cool. And so I thought, that's neat. I like that. And I think Jesus likes it too, don't you? It's kind of cool. I just thought it was neat. And the other thought that came to me as we were speaking about uh, the dark days, somebody prayed, Gene, I think it was your fault. You prayed about the dark days in which we live. Today doesn't look too dark, but the culture that we're in and all the decline that we're experiencing Uh, they are uh, overwhelming. And I think as believers, we react two ways. Jesus is coming, amen? Amen. And some of us are like, hurry up so I can get out of (laughs) here. But I don't think that's what he had in mind, is that we should thrive in spite of it and uh, buy up the opportunities while we have them. So all of God's people said, stop preaching at us already. You haven't even started your sermon and I haven't. Those of you who are visiting, we're glad you're here today. Um, There is a little card in the pew, or you can take the the bulletin that you got, tear off sheets, send me notes, tell me you hated what I said, or you can uh, tell me you liked it, or if you want answers, or you have questions about this gospel that is why we meet, why we're gathered out of the world today. It's because we believe the good news that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Little insight, that's all of us. And, uh, and so that is why we gather together, because we've been found by him and glad to be found. I'm going to ask that you follow along. You don't have to stand. I, that's why I debated whether I would let you sit down or not, because I like to stand for the scripture But uh, just pay attention to the text that we're looking at today. Here it is. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly... ...so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit... ...who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth... ...that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel... ...like a child serving his father... Isn't that a statement all by itself, really? I guess it depends on what kind of child father relationships you've seen that might have an impact on that. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also shall be coming shortly. Well, the title today is Spiritual Leadership. And it's one of those things where I'm sitting here wondering, uh, there are mornings I have to confess to you, I say, why am I preaching what I'm preaching? I can tell you today why I'm preaching what I'm preaching, because it's the next passage in the scripture, that's why, and uh, that'll have to do, (laughs) but it's certainly appropriate. And I think everyone all around is looking for spiritual leadership, whether they're conscious of it or not. They're looking for it in rock stars. They're looking for it in TV personalities. They're looking for something that's going to satisfy what's in our inner spirit. Because there's an emptiness there, which ultimately we know as believers can only be filled by the creator who made us. Not that those other things don't help occasionally and salve our souls a little bit, but they don't have the total answer. So this passage is from that. And if you're a visitor, uh, we do have places to keep notes. And if you're one of those faithful note-takers, by the time we're done with Philippians, you'll have a modest commentary on Philippians by the great commentator. Never mind. <laughs> the not-so-great or-so-famous commentator, Dr. John Hago. Anyway, so, Saints Alive. You notice at the bottom I've got my little asterisk. Every time I steal something... I try to tell the truth and that is that I borrowed it from this book. Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Sanders. I had the privilege of hearing him in person. Great servant of God actually took over the organization that was originally Hudson Taylor's mission. The one he started, the China Inland Mission, became Overseas Missionary Fellowship and he became the executive director, wrote a number of books, was a very great spiritual mentor to many. And um, so I decided I would borrow his title, and I'm going to read something out of the first chapter in a few minutes. But first, let's consider, if we might, spiritual leadership as a concept. The impact, the responsibility, I'm not talking about just leadership. And we're also not talking about servanthood. Every Christian is called to servanthood. Not every Christian steps up to the plate. As is often the case, you know Prieto's Law, right? Everybody know that law? Most organizations, 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. That's because Christians are not, and it happens in churches, Christians are not um, exercising their priesthood because we're called priests. That means we're given a gift to do ministry. We're all called to ministry. Understand? That's one place that Jehovah Witnesses get it better than we do. We're all called to ministry. Not the preaching ministry per se, and everyone said, "Thank God," <laughs> right? Or some of you said that. I'm really preaching for those who said, "Yeah, tell me more." It got real quiet in here all of a sudden. What happened to you? Did y'all you leave? Okay. No, you haven't left yet. All right. Let me. What's that? That's the idea. Uh oh. Hello, McFly. Anybody home? All right, that's exactly the point. Um, by the way, let me just be candid. We don't have time to go into all this as a sidebar. This is free. I never charge you for any of my sidebars. I'm looking at the clock because I don't want to go off too far. But the ministry mapping team, when they came, gave you a report. And that was one of our areas of struggle. And some of our leaders today are struggling. At the end of the service, I'm going to just hit a few bullets of announcements that are important to us. Uh, what's coming in the days ahead, and one of them has to do with needing saints to step up to serve. But I'm not talking about that today per se. I'm talking about the responsibility of leading by guidance and truth, etc. if you understand what I mean. And so let me just show you a few faces, if I may, that I think some of you would recognize and you would acknowledge that they are Influential spiritual leaders—they're not CEOs of corporations or, you know, Chrysler. As many nice books were written about Iacocca and all of that. It's all very interesting, but there's a different responsibility on spiritual leaders. So here's one you might know. Anybody recognize him? Yeah, Billy Graham. That's who it is. That's my spiritual dad, by the way. As far as how I came to faith, was listening to him. So everybody knows who he is. I think he was a great um, evangelist, had a profound impact on our culture to the degree that some people would think that's the only way to do evangelism, which in our culture today it's not. But he was very much a spiritual leader for the church. Anybody know who that is? Some of you have read his biography or his autobiography. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, correct. Anybody know who that was? Right? Right? Anybody not know who that was so I can explain it because I'm sure some of us don't know, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian and pastor, a leader in the what would be called the Confessing Church in Nazi Germany. Being part of the Confessing Church, not willing to go along with the H- Holocaust, was a costly, costly thing. He had to go into hiding he eventually was associated with an attempt to take Hitler out. He ended up in a concentration camp and was hung by the neck until dead. But he had a profound influence on Christianity, and we're still reading his works today, and you know how many mornings I've read from Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great man and a great mind. How about this guy? Everybody should know him. No, I'm joking you. I'm joking with you. That's not Martin Luther. Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a little chubbier in the cheeks. We are all sons of Wittenberg. That was Martin Luther. This is another man. Anybody want to get, anybody know? No. It'd be hard to spot this guy unless you were interested in his history. This is Count von Zinzendorf. Of course. And everybody said, oh, him. Ah, Lord, you've given them eyes. <laughs> Have you ever been down in Pennsylvania, Dutch country? There's a town called Lidditz. If you've ever been in Lidditz, there's a huge complex right in the middle of town that belongs to the Moravian Church. Does that ring some bell? All right, So one person out of all of it. yeah, all right, we get it. The Moravian Church started with the leadership of this man, a wealthy guy, uh, an aristocrat in Europe, who offered his entire property to be a Christian commune. What happened was Christians from all kinds of denominational backgrounds got together and were trying to live together in harmony. Can you imagine? Not at Harmony Baptist, in Harmony... And how did that work out, right? About the same as it did at Harmony. Right? <laughs> Bam! Oh, ow! We're going to have some fun with this, okay? We might as well laugh at ourselves, right? So they were fighting until he decided we're going to have a prayer meeting until the Holy Spirit shows up. The Holy Spirit showed up. Not only was there unity, but a prayer meeting went on for a 100 years, and out of that small community came hundreds and hundreds of missionaries who went all over the globe. Many people don't know that. They think of American missions, William Carey, and some of those big names. Count von Zinzendorf was on the front end of that early on after the Reformation. Just an amazing story. Spiritual leadership can have a profound effect. So here's a, here's a missions leader. The, for, the, second, the, the second man we looked at, Bonhoeffer, was a theologian, had great influence on the confessing church. And the first guy was an evangelist. All of those profoundly useful servants of God. There can also be a negative side to spiritual leadership. Would you agree? Remember that guy. Some of you are too young like me no it happened on my watch what's his name Jim Jones Jones. you know the disaster of the people's temple right so there's the dark side of spiritual leadership somebody gets away from scripture gets off track from God and you end up in trouble here's another one who's that you know who it is you're shaking your head Larry I thought you knew yeah I know him he lives down the street from me lives in Cornwall anyway you should know who that is because all of his progeny are running all over our neighborhoods Charles Taze Russell founder of what is now the Jehovah Witnesses who want to tell you about the good news of the kingdom which is not good news about the kingdom so there is a profound influence from spiritual leadership from good for good or for bad So we could spend weeks on this subject, really, but I only have one week, and I'm going to do it today, dealing with the subject of this specific form of servanthood, which involves some theological, biblical foundation, as well as the right passion to move us ahead for the kingdom of God's sake. In other words... In in churches in general, you can have two swings of the pendulum. I like to talk once, and I coined the phrase "pendulumitis." We tend to slide from one degree to another. Let me give an example. Child rearing. Oh, no, no, we can't. We don't want to confine the child. We swing the pendulum way over there. That doesn't work out well when they're hanging off the chandelier. So we swing the pendulum way over here, and we're extremely strict and harsh. That doesn't work well either, right? So you have those extremes. Same thing is true in the spiritual dynamics of churches. We can have passion and be completely open to the spirit without the foundations and boundaries of the scripture, we're going to crash and burn. We swing all the way the other way, dead theology just puts everybody to sleep. Does that make sense? Okay. So finding that balance is what we're talking about here. And... If we speak about spiritual leadership, because from the time I've got here, I'm just being candid, from the very first weeks that I was here, there was an appeal for raising up elders. Now, I know I'm touching a very touchy subject, and I'm just going to say it could be difficult to discuss it here for probably two major reasons. One reason is the just downright fear of spiritual leadership. If you don't feel fear, if you think about it, if you're sitting here today, by the way, I do want to encourage the heart of anyone who's sitting here thinking, I'd like to consider that. I'd like to be used by God in that. I would not want to put water on that flame. But if you don't feel fear at the same time, you're missing something huge, huge, Tom, huge. Ministers, spiritual leaders are the first ones to experience opposition. Anybody see that fantastic spiritual movie, The Patriot? It wasn't really spiritual. But it does have a spiritual principle. Do You remember the scene where, for those of you who don't get out, you have my permission to watch The Patriot. So, uh, There's a scene where Mel Gibson's character is running after a group of British soldiers that have captured his son. He wants to rescue his son. And he's only got two young kids to help him. And he's trained them how to hunt. So he brings them out into the woods. Really rough. I mean when I watch this scene, I gotta tell you, the first time I saw it, I was visibly shaking after the scene. It was so intensive. But one of the things he says to his sons as he's trying to rescue his older son, do you know how to identify the officers? Yes. Shoot them first. And that's exactly what they did. Because whenever there's a war, take the officers out. Just like Jesus said, the shepherd or the sheep will be struck down and the sheep will be scattered. And it happened. So if you don't have a healthy fear of it, uh, you maybe want to stay away from it. There's work involved. There's cost involved. There's at times even persecution, and in the early church, nobody wanted to sign up unless they knew it wasn't just an ambition, it was a calling, because it could very well cost them their lives. It's often the bishops that we read about in church history that were martyred publicly and made the greatest stands for the kingdom, but not only them, that's for sure. Second reason that it might be difficult to talk about it, so I'm just wading in because I am kind of crazy that way, is that leadership is often despised. And there's been some of that uh, within these walls as well. Sometimes because of failures, severe inconsistencies on the part of spiritual leaders, they make major blunders, and uh, there are times they disqualify themselves, and I'll be the first one to say it's time to pull the trigger. This guy should not be leading. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the right thing to do. We do confu- confuse. We get um, Pendulumitis, when it comes to the application of grace and understanding that there's a difference between forgiveness and being reinstated in a place of authority. I'm forgiven and I'm fully accepted in the beloved and part of the fellowship, but that doesn't mean I still hold my right to lead. And that's where some of our televangelists have gotten it wrong historically, and they've ultimately brought their entire organization to crash and burn. And there is also sometimes a complacent or erroneous attitude about what it means to be qualified spiritually. Uh, I've often interacted when I first got here that I felt like, and and that was true, that um, it was like the pastor was kind of a cog in a machine, just a necessary evil, if you will. And uh, I know I'm evil, but uh, hopefully I'm necessary anyway. But you get what I'm saying, that we have a wrong perspective. Can I just be blunt? We're all unimportant. We're all equally important. I've had people, you know, what I do is just as much as important as you, or you know, blah blah blah. And it's like, mm, no, we're all important. Or let me change that. We're all equally unimportant. But our roles are not the same. And the person who has the responsibility to break the word, to say this is the boundary. This is what God has in mind when He says this. This is. This is the nature of God. This is how he is. This is what he looks for. That responsibility can either, like the characters we saw, lead us to him or help us go in the wrong direction. And that's why it's not all the same. Let me just show you what the scripture says about that. Remember this? Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know we who teach strictly. And believe me, I think if you're spiritually sane, it weighs on you. It does. Sometimes churches make mistakes when it comes to spiritual leader. I'm not limiting this to uh, the office of elders, but it's an application. There are a number of places where people have to spiritually lead. The early church had different various giftings. Uh, Billy Graham, he's not a pastor. He's an evangelist. That's obvious, Right. Bonhoeffer was both. He was a pastor. He was also uh, a theologian. And uh, so there are different roles, different places, uh, different slots for serving. In the early church, teachers were a, an office many times. People were, who's the teacher in this assembly? Who's the one that catechizes all the new Christians to make sure they get it right? They don't fall prey to some false gospel or some false uh, view of who Jesus is as in uh, Charles Taze Russell's view, that Jesus is merely uh, an angelic created being rather than the living God. So, sometimes we make the mistake of filling slots. I'll just say it. Churches often have this problem of filling slots with warm bodies rather than qualified individuals, which will always bring Problems, it just does. In fact, there's a little leadership principle. I'm just throwing this in. This is another sidebar. It's free. To the degree that actual leadership, formal leadership, that is, those who hold offices, and informal leadership, those who have the power behind the scenes, are not the same group. The more earthquakes in the building will happen. Follow what I'm saying? So you have people who are officers, but they really don't have the power because somebody else has the power. To the degree that that goes on, there's going to be tremors. And a lot of tremors in the news lately. And, you know, the results are not real pretty. So what your goal is, is to get transparency and authenticity so they're both one and the same as much as is possible. So... Even though we make mistakes, let's see what the scripture encourages us about in this particular passage. And by the way, right after the text that we read comes the next text. Doesn't that make sense? The next text follows. Wow. Take that one home. Uh, The next, very next verse says this. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my fellow, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my needs interesting person Epaphroditus just so you know who he is he was a local from Philippi he's a Gentile so when he says brother he means that in the fullest sense of spirituality anyone in Christ no matter what their racial background their religious background doesn't matter if they're in Christ they are my brother they belong to the same family born of the same DNA if you will of the spirit of God But we have all these words, brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, and minister. And so they're instructive for us, I believe. Here it is, five descriptive words. First one, brother. We already mentioned that. Two, worker, fellow worker. Um, I just left it at worker because the sun in the front, sunergos, some of us like the Greek word, so that's why I do that. You don't have to write it down. But the sun means together. You have workers, and then you have together workers, co-workers is the way we call it, right? I have a co-worker. And so this man was a worker, someone who served Jesus in the church, and it was recognized as such. We already made comment on the idea that, yes, Ben, I'm trying to get people to work. But also soldiers. In fact, it's the same beginning sus or soon the same together a soldier with me a fellow soldier my comrade my comrade in arms and it's a good word to use here because it references exceptional commitment in sacrifice let me give you a little background so this man epaphroditus was selected to take a gift of bucks all the way to paul during his imprisonment, okay? It's referenced at the end of the book. You can read ahead. We're going to get to that and talk about uh, a terrible subject in church, giving, because it's in there. But he's the one sent, and if you're sent on a mission like that in the ancient world, there's inherently danger involved. There's risk. But apparently, as best as scholars can put piece everything together, on the way... Epaphroditus becomes ill, so he's sick, he's weary, he's at risk, he's probably not traveling alone, but he says, I've got a task to do, this guy is an apostle, God's using him, I want to support him, and he makes sure he gets there, even though he gets almost to the point of death in the process. And that's why you have the passage that follows this. He was sick unto the point of death, but God had mercy on him and also on me. And I'm so delighted to restore him to you because you guys love him and you miss him. And it all had a happy ending, thanks be to God. I have encountered numerous... You're not offended at the word lay people, right? You know, there's clergy and then there's lay people. And uh, most of us here are lay people. I've encountered numerous lay people that exceedingly impress me as soldiers. Spiritual soldiers who have endured sacrifice, difficulty, hardship. You remember the lady who came and spoke at my installation, Patty, who was up front, shared about her life being transformed. She became my right-hand counseling person, has literally assisted, ministered to, and seen transformation in hundreds, hundreds of people's lives, and been treated like dirt. And she'll come back and say, I've really just about had it. I think I'm done. And I talk her off the cliff. And I say, who are we serving? And a reminder, and she goes, yes, sir. Not literally, but virtually. Back into the fray, she goes and keeps bearing fruit, bearing fruit. Contrast that to the typical church person who, if I can dare say it this way, I used to go to that church, but then something happened. (laughs) And from then on, it's like Jesus doesn't even exist anymore. What kind of a soldier is that? What kind of a Christian? Are you really born? I don't know. Some of them are. But, oh, man, if you just want the way out to avoid serving Jesus because it's going to cost you something, that's easy to find an excuse. Why don't you talk to me later? I'll give you some. Maybe even a reason. Worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger. Look at the word. Apostle. Now, he's not saying he's formally one of the apostles, the church planters of the early church. That's not what he's saying. It's the word messenger. and apostolus is a sent one. We hijack that word in talking about miss- missions, missiology, the apostolic, sent to multiply, to plant churches. They're those kind of visionaries. They just make it happen. I'm not one. I definitely am not one. But I've watched people who do it. It seems like everything they put their hand to in ministry turns to gold. 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 Maybe to gold, too. I don't know. I was in uh, Senegal. There was a brother there who got radically saved, and he pastored a small church in chess, but he didn't just pastor a church in chess. He was part of the support of a Christian school, such an excellent school that the imams send their children to the school. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't it be cool if the local imams started sending their kids to our school? What an impact. And then he starts this other ministry, and he starts this hospital. You couldn't believe it, a hospital. I'm telling you, I watched this church full of poor people in Senegal do all of these ministries. They've got a building. I, did I ever show you that picture? I think years ago. There were only like 20 of us at the time, but anyway, the, a building that's like six stories tall is the local hospital in Chess. Everything else is one layer. You know, one, one what am I trying to say? One floor. Thank you, that was hard. <laughs> Come on, wake up. One floor, and when people walk into the town, they can see the, the pristine hospital where they serve people, serve the poor, minister to them, Medically, in the name of Jesus, it's like, what's our problem? He's your messenger and minister to my needs. Messenger, the sent one. He's the, actually the one who not only brought the money to Paul and comfort to Paul, he's the one who turned around with this very letter and brought it back to the Philippians. He's their messenger had the job of coming back and saying, Paul loves you guys, you're one of his favorite churches, but you got a few things you need to shake out. And here they are. And as far as we know, we hope they did it. Messenger and apostolus and minister to my needs. You know, there's something about faithfulness in bringing the message. My job is to bring the truth that God speaks. It's not my job to make people happy. I hope the gospel makes you happy. I hope it results in joy. But my job is to tell you this is right and this is wrong. This is true and this is false. If I don't do that, I might as well get out of this business. And the day I start compromising will be the day I quit. The scripture tells us in Proverbs, like the coolness of snow at harvest time is a trustworthy messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the spirit of his master. Isn't that a great picture? If you're in a desert area, which I used to live in Tucson, it was hot. You know, it was, yeah, but it's a dry heat. Yeah, it's hot. 112 is hot. Doesn't matter whether it's dry. You can cook eggs on your car hood, you know. I mean, it's just hot. But there's, a, there's actually an old, not very well used ski slope an hour out of town because Mount Lemmon rises up from the plain and it actually can get cold enough up there to have snow. Well, if you can picture a good snow laying up there, now summer's moving in down below and you're working and you're well off enough to send messengers up and say, get us five buckets of snow. Back in the old days, they didn't have refrigerators. Hello? and they come back with buckets of snow and all the workers who are dripping with like, Snow cone time, you know what I mean? That's what that's saying. The messengers who's faithful, it's refreshing, just like the guy that brought a bucket of snow back. Isn't that a great picture? And the contrary is like gravel in the teeth is a messenger who doesn't deliver. So I'm preaching it myself. I'm very depressed this morning. Last word, he's also your minister. Isn't that interesting? Usually the word minister, you've heard this before, is the word deacon, right? Diaconos is the word to minister, to serve, to wait on tables. This word, does it ring any bells for anybody? Liturgy, right? Liturgical, that's what exactly what it is. It's the word minister as in religiously ministering. The temple priest would be a liturgical, That kind of language. He has actually served me spiritually on your behalf. That's why he's here. Now, in all of this dialogue, I've been working up to the most important point. That wasn't even the verse we read. I'm only now getting to the verse that matters, and I've got an hour's worth of stuff to say. (laughs) I'm fibbing. I'm actually drawing it to a close. Here's what's critical. Here's what he's looking for. You know of his proven worth, first of all, he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Timothy was one who traveled with Paul more than anybody else we know, and he had served. He'd been sent to Ephesus to kind of oversee. He was kind of like the bishop with all the small group churches in that city, which was a large city, comparable like to New York with little surrounding areas. Ephesus was huge, and every place that Paul sent him He watched his son Timothy, it's not his literal son, it's his spiritual son, he adopted him and he trained him and he mentored him and he said he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father, a a child who wants to please his father. If I'm in the business with my dad, I want my dad's business to succeed. If it's financial, I want it to succeed because I want to inherit a successful business. But if it's spiritual, it's the same thing. I wanted to succeed because we're serving ultimately the master Jesus. So he says, he served with me like a child serving his father. He was a faithful messenger, just like Epaphroditus. But the spirit that God looks for and that Paul is looking for is this. Let me show you this verse. I hope in the Lord Jesus send Timothy to you shortly that I may be encouraged, for I have no one else of what? Here it is. Kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Rivet that in your head for a second. Kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. He, I have to send him. I can't pick up on some of those guys that are preaching around town there, um, around Philippi or around Rome. In Rome, there are some guys preaching. They all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Who is he talking about? You might remember when we started this book, he made this reference. To be sure, some are preaching Christ from envy and strife, some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love. They know I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel, but the others are proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition. They're trying to aggravate me while I'm in prison. They're full of ego. They think, "Oh, oh, well, you all know that Yeah, he's kind of an apostle, but he's not as smart as we are. We we got more insight to tell you about, you know, and we're really we're really much deeper spiritually than he was. And, you know that what fill in the blanks. And he said, I can't trust those people. I can't send them to serve you. I'm going to send Timothy because he's tested, and I know that his motives are right. That for your best interest, he will watch out. He has a kindred spirit with me. Let's see if I can find where that word is. Kindred spirit means an equal soul. He's equal in soul with me. <clears throat> He's not coming because of poor motives. Some people go into ministry today. I've seen this both in seminary and since I've been on the field for 40 years preaching. I sometimes scratch my head and wonder what are we thinking? One of the early uh, Puritan writers, um, Richard Baxter, I believe, who wrote The Reformed Pastor. By the way, that title, The Reformed Pastor, is not talking about theology. It's talking about being reformed in here. said, if it's not your intention to teach, what are you doing in the pulpit? People think it's a fun job. It's easy work. You work one day a week. Oh, you got the weekend off because there's a mission. Anyway, whatever. You're wrapped up in social causes. You think it'll give you status. Whatever the motive, I don't know. I remember standing at the field ministry board one time in seminary. That's the place where they're trying to place trained pastors. And I'm listening to this brother. Well, I'm thinking about going there, but if they don't pay me this much, or they don't this, or they don't I'm like, Maybe I missed something here. I mean, you got to eat. I understand that. Churches do very badly sometimes on things like that. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about why are you going? It was during our time in seminary, we went to the field in Japan and met a missionary that became a dear friend of mine. And um, he said there was surely a mistake when the seminary had sent out a letter to their constituency saying... We're going to have this many trained ministers of the gospel. You know, 120 guys are going to graduate. We've got 120 people trained to preach the gospel. Do you know of any open pulpits? My friend in Japan got that letter and said, they really didn't want to send that to me, I don't think. So he wrote a rather in-your-face letter I can share with you 100,000 villages and towns with no gospel witness at all, and you're looking for a place to put these guys? So why am I in it? Because there is a glory to be had for Jesus' namesake. That's why. Let me read from my brother, J. Oswald Sanders. It should be observed that it is not the office of overseer, but the function of overseer that Paul asserts is honorable and noble. Did you know where it starts? In um, the book of Timothy, Paul says, if anyone desires the work of an overseer, if anyone aspires to leadership, it's an honorable ambition. It's a good work that he desires to do. That's why I said, I don't want to put the fire out. If you got a little fire in your belly, amen. That's a good thing. It is the most privileged work in the world. People might argue they can be wrong. It is glorious character should be an incentive to covet it because when sought from highest motives, it yields both present and eternal dividends. In Paul's time, only deep love for Christ and genuine concern for his church would provide men with a sufficiently powerful motive to aspire to that office, because it might cost you your life. But in most lands today, Christian leadership confers confers prestige and privilege and unworthy ambition may easily induce self-seeking and unspiritual men to covet office. That's the very fact that makes Jeremiah's counsel to Baruch so pertinent. Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not, the King James said. He is not warning against ambition per se, but against self-centered ambition, great things for thyself instead of for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So it's not for egotistical satisfaction Although I will confess, there's a certain satisfaction that I have in standing in that role. And it also scares the pudding out of me. I used the right word. When I became a Christian and I saw servants of God prophesy and the spirit of God would move in on people, I was like, I would die to see that glory. That's why Isaiah looks up and is transformed when he sees the Lord lifted up. And some of us are overdue for a vision. It's not about status. It's not about club membership. It's not about having power. Like when I was being discipled by a man who had gone into ministry after being a Marine and also a New York City police officer for seven years. He was a little rough around the edges, but boy, was it fun. He sat at a board meeting one night with this person who was problematic and his moral life was a disaster and he had been allowed to be a deacon in this church and when he said this is totally contrary to the word of God, that man said, if I can't be a deacon in this church, I'm going home. Thank you for proving that you're thoroughly disqualified, not to mention a bit of a fool. no no that's what I'm thinking (laughs) but wait till I get started so he sends Timothy because he's modeling Jesus he has a kindred soul and he will care for their souls sincerely that's who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare he will be sincerely get this the word implies even worried distressed if you will on occasion not that worry is a good thing. That's not what I'm getting at. Is that he's, he's burdened for their well-being, that they will be growing well in their souls. He has their interest at heart. Not their wants. There's a difference. Their well-being for the sake of Jesus. In other words, Christ's best interest in your life, that's the shepherd's job to help move you toward that. All right, so I have a little story to tell, and it's actually in the Scripture. So if you have your Bible and you want to look in it, you may. Um, it's at the end of the book of John. And uh, you may remember, um, at the end of John, Jesus has manifested himself in his resurrection to his disciples and their you know, they're getting coached for the last minute stuff. And there's this great event where this character named Peter, anybody ever heard of him? What had happened with Peter at the crucifixion? Oh boy, that was his magnificent failure, wasn't it? I mean, he went out and wept bitterly when he realized he had denied his Savior. It was a rough time for Peter. And he still ain't over it. In this text, this is chapter um, 21, page 527 in the Pew Bible. When we get new ones, I'm going to have to have two, two, two pages every time, you know, because we'll, we'll have mixed people out here, mixed things. So verse 15, so when they finished breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says to him again, Tend my sheep, my lambs He said to him again the second time Simon son of John, do you love me? He said, yes Lord You know that I love you He said to him, shepherd my sheep He said to him the third time Simon son of John, do you love me? Oh man This had to be hard Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. <laughs> you know that I love you. Yes, I'm a dingbat, but yes, I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Isn't it interesting he doesn't say build a big machine, you know, build a glass cathedral, have a great website, make a lot of money selling Christian t-shirts? doesn't say that your job is to tend my sheep feed them make sure my best interests get downloaded into their spirits that's your job but it doesn't stop there Jesus has this word for him. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, Peter, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. Wow. Now, I think this is really cool. I don't know if you get this. Here's the big failure, Jesus just reinstates him. Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) Sorry, I don't think it was quite that bad, but maybe it was. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you, we all need to go through this. There's a point where you have to make up your mind if you really love him. And I've served the Lord in ministry for years, and I came to a point, it's not that far back, maybe 10 years When I felt like the Spirit had to put me against the wall, and I had to say, do I really love him? Boy, it was a revelation to find out I do. I do love him. I need I needed to know it. Just like Peter needed to know it. I really do love him. And I want to feed his sheep. I want to download that right DNA. But then, as if to make up for the failure, why did Peter run away like all the other disciples? What was happening? The crucifixion. Well, we may get caught, and we may get crucified too, so let's scram. And Jesus says, guess what? You get to go out in a blaze of glory. Because that's what he's telling them. You used to do what you wanted, but someone's going to take you and stretch out your hands, and you're not going to have any power over it, and that's how you're going to go out. Does anybody know the story of how Peter endured martyrdom? unworthy to be crucified like his master. I think he got it. I think he got the principle of humility. And then there's one more thing. And when he had uh, spoken this, he said to him, Peter, now follow me. I'm not gone yet. Peter turns around, sees the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at supper and said, Lord, who's the one that betrays you? The one who, by the way, wrote this book. (laughs) He's so subtle. He wrote this book. That one. So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? I'm going to have to go out in a blaze of glory. What about him? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. One of the best sermons I ever heard was by the president of Denver Seminary, Dr. Gordon, uh, uh, yeah, Dr. Grounds, Dr. Vernon Grounds, who's with Jesus, preached this very passage from the King James. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. We want to tell God how it's supposed to go down. I wanted to tell God he was making a mistake bringing me to Orange County. And you're all saying, no, I think maybe you made a mistake. <laughs> no. You get what I'm saying? I want, uh, well, how come he gets to get blessed and do that? What's that your problem? Mind your own business. You follow me. And that's what he calls all of us to do, is to follow him. Amen? So let's pray, and then I have a few announcements. So God, we thank you that you have not left us in the dark, that we might kind of stumble around trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong, but you've spoken clearly to us. So thank you. Thank you for those in the room in whose spirit a stirring might be active right now, and I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you... Fan the flame where those who might say, I know I've been pursuing my stuff, my plans, but I want to think about your plans. I'm asking for grace for them. Because our culture and even our spiritual culture, our church culture sometimes, basically says, you're crazy to do that. What a waste of time. It could be making Fifteen times as much money doing something else but Lord your call is glorious and your kingdom is glorious and you're far more glorious we can barely get our minds around you we don't but we get this tremendous privilege to be co-laborers together with you so we thank you for that Lord we ask God that you'd raise up teachers and we also ask that you would raise up servants. Yes. For your namesake, make a name for yourself in this place. That's my request, God, that Jesus, you might be known to have touched down and walked through this place. In Jesus' name, we ask for your help today. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for your kind attention. I'm going to dismiss us in just a minute after I make a few announcements. Is that okay? Who's going to stop me? That's what I always say. I guess somebody could. <laughs> so first things first. Um, eating, meeting with me right after? What happened? Oh, you can <clears throat> That was funny. That was funny. Anyway. <laughs> know who your friends are, or were. (laughs) Anyway, next Sunday, the first big meeting in here, And, and what it's for is what we do on Sunday mornings. Technology, worship team, hospitality, coffee, greeters, ushers, anything like that. If you think you'd like to help us, and by the way, if you haven't heard the implications, we need help. But anyway, uh, feel free to come to the meeting, but we need to know. Let us know. Call the office, email us so that we have enough food because we do want snacks to carry you through so you don't faint or become crabby. And, um, and we'll be done in an hour and a half, boom, free. Along with that, uh, you may come and say, well, the way they want to do this, uh, maybe I don't want to do it anymore. That's fine too. I'm the first pastor you'll probably ever meet that'll say, you know what, you ought to drop it. You ought to stop doing it, Okay. Tonight, uh, uh, that night would normally be prayer meeting because of the meeting, honoring your time, no prayer meeting, okay, just so you know. Let me tell you the rundown of our schedule coming in the weeks ahead and why I'm doing something that I'm doing. One, uh, after the big meeting on the 1st, which will be pretty active, Mother's Day is the 8th, yay moms, Uh, the 15th, the Zwarts are here as guests again, our uh, missionaries, Uh, They have asked to be able to communicate with you about stuff that God's doing in their new uh, venture and who knows what will come out of that. On the 22nd, uh, the evening, uh, by the way, the 15th, there will be prayer meeting in the evening as usually scheduled, first and third Sunday of the month. Just so you know, the 22nd in the evening, the Hudson Valley uh, pastors, of uh, churches, like we did a year ago. will be praying over at Fishkill again that night at 5 o'clock. If you're interested in that, you should tuck that away so it doesn't slip past. We'll announce it again. And uh, coming up into the future, because of this schedule, I have bumped communion. I know communion matters. It's good, and we want to do it. I've bumped it to the end of the month so that it will cover this coming month and the month after, right right at the end of the month, 29th. So just so you know, I'm not erasing it i'm just postponing it because we have too much happening yeah that's it so there'll be a communion then there will also be a baptism on that morning so those of you who have either come to faith or have never fulfilled uh, the the scriptural model talk to me call the office get a time that we can go over it we've got at least three to four already and so that's cool and some are brand new in the faith. We're thrilled. And so that will be on the 29th baptism. One more thing. Speaking of servanthood, I'm not, a, I'm not a pressure salesman. I don't twist people's arm to do anything. I don't think that's the most profitable. But I am going to say this. We have a ministry that's kind of boomed, and that's called Awana. And uh, by the way, I've actually had the privilege of seeing some come to faith because of their kids being involved in Awana, So, uh, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But here's the deal. Um, Some of our leaders need to move on to new phases. They feel the spirit prompting. So if you're interested in finding a place to serve, that's one that you ought to talk to us about. If you'd like to be in a leadership role in that regard, uh, we could certainly dialogue with you about it. Okay? But you want to know that it is what you want to do before God, and it's consistent with your inclinations and gifting. Okay? So throwing that out. We'll talk again about these things. I think I'm done. Are you glad? <laughs> Let's stand together. I'll be up front. I actually ran out of time. I was going to give you Q&A cuz surely after a sermon like that, you've got a lot of questions like why are you still here? Anyway, right? That was a joke. Bad joke. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your people. Thank you for the wonderful, profound, we don't even understand, gift of salvation. The fact that you rescue us in spite of ourselves. You continue to sanctify us in spite of the times we want to run the other way. As our brother uh, Ben was saying earlier, that uh, this song, I Surrender All, we struggle with that. But Lord, thank you that your grace is greater than all of our sin including mine, and I'm so grateful for the security that I have being accepted in the beloved, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And we can say that if we're your children, we all say amen to that. And Lord Jesus, I pray for your favor on your people. Put your angels around us as we scatter into the world this week. And when the door opens, we rub shoulders with people Let us share with them the reason for the hope that is in us. In the name of Jesus, we commend ourselves to your grace. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you.